Clinton is falling, coronavirus is confusing, and culture is crumbling. I'm Josiah Everton, and this is The Glorious Rescue. Welcome back to another episode of The Glorious Rescue. I want to start off by thanking all of you who participated in our July 4th giveaway. Thank you to all of you who shared and who commented and who were putting out the word of the show and all of our episodes. We are continuing to slowly grow, and we are continuing to work towards some guests, uh, confirmed guests, and a couple others that are in the works that I'm extremely excited about that I don't want to mention yet, but I do think that you will definitely look forward to over the next couple months. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, stay following, and remember to visit us over on Instagram at The Glorious Rescue, and then on Spotify, iTunes, and all the popular platforms. We're going to get into many stories for today. As promised in our last episode, we are going to talk a little bit about the developments with the Clinton story, and I guess you could say a lot of different stories with the Clinton family, but we're going to talk about just a couple, and then we're going to talk about coronavirus, the cultural revolution, and the impacts and the effects that that is having on our world today, and then we're going to get into our new show segment, so lots to cover, so let's jump right in. As promised, let's first briefly talk about Clinton. And there's a couple brief stories about that. The first one being this recent court hearing that you've probably heard about on social media or over the news regarding Hillary Clinton being forced to testify in September. There is some misinformation. There is, though, some serious information regarding it that I just want to briefly touch on. What this was is that there's a conservative group named the Judicial Watch that pressed charges against Clinton. And in that in those charges, obviously, she was going to have to testify in a federal court answering questions by the Judicial Watch regarding the emails, the Benghazi emails, the emails on a private server and whatnot. And she received a writ from a superior court giving her exemption to have to subject herself to questioning, to have to testify. And questions were going to have to be submitted in written format by the Judicial Watch, and she could answer them via written text and whatnot. And so the writ was given by a superior court that exempted her from it. And so this court case hearing was debating the validity of that writ, whether or not she was going to have to testify or whether or not that writ would remain established and she would not have to. That hearing was held just in the last week or so. And the verdict you can find in the court resolution, it states, quote, the court grants judicial watches request to depose Secretary Clinton on matters concerning her reasons for using a private server and her understanding of state's records management obligations. What does this mean? It means that under that hearing, she will now have to answer questions given to her verbally by the judicial watch, that she will be forced to testify and to answer questions regarding her emails, the Benghazi emails, in a federal court case on September 9th, all it does is really, I guess, support the whole validity of Clinton's intention. During the 2016 election, it was almost portrayed as a mishap, as an accident, or that she just wished she would have not deleted them. But really, this kind of continues to validate the story that has been promoted that it was intentional. And this kind of gives some strength to that argument. And like I said, just when we thought we couldn't get more, there is more. And that is an individual's arrest by the name of Maxwell. And this is a lady who was Epstein's confidant. And Epstein was an individual who was charged with human trafficking and other charges. He was found guilty, put in prison, and then he quote unquote, it's supposedly he killed himself. And so I guess you could say the quote unquote conspiracy is that he didn't kill himself, but because of his ties to prominent figures, including the Clintons, that there was something else, a different cause of his death. You could say conspiracy. You could say the 
the opinion that he did not kill himself. Obviously, he's gained popularity all over social media. His confidant, his what he referred to as his best friend, who was also his girlfriend at one point, has been arrested by the FBI, and she is currently in custody. And so it raises the question, now she is not dead, she did not kill herself. She's being questioned by the FBI if certain interesting notes are going to come out during her investigation, that there are always two sides to every story, and that's all I'm going to put on that. But there are developments with that, so we could see more come crashing down on that family. Next is the continuing developments of the coronavirus. Not much since our last update. Cases are continuing to rise. The death numbers are plateauing. They are continuing to stay flat, down in low numbers. So that means the mortality rate of this virus is continuing to decrease. The likelihood of death when you are infected by it is continuing to go down. Not only that, but people are starting to cause more panic in regards to hospitalization rates, and we are not actually seeing it. The statistics don't necessarily back that up. Hospitalization rates, like I mentioned previously, is one of the more important notes to look at because we don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system. So hospitalization rates right now or over the last few days at its peak have been 50%. So they're still not worrisome. It is a little bit higher in ICU units, but still at around 50% or so. Not only that, but the main rise is because over the last few months, you could not have an elective surgery, a different type of surgery that's not necessary for your life at this moment. And that's considered an unelective surgery. And right now, those have not been allowed. Well, they were reopened. Elective surgeries were reopened. And that was the main cause of hospitalization rates going up because now you have elective surgeries that are allowed. And so more people are being hospitalized, not necessarily COVID related. Hospitalization rates right now, it seems to indicate that they're only going up because elective surgeries have been allowed. And right now, as of right now, in most states, or in some states at least, they are beginning to roll back the elective surgeries, that they are once again not allowed to not overwhelm the healthcare system. So we'll probably see a decrease in hospitalization rates now too. But some of the effects that we're seeing from the coronavirus, and we will get into the effects of the cultural revolution that I mentioned, is the economy. The economy is booming. Over the last few days, we've seen the June jobs number, 4.8 million new jobs, I believe it was, unemployment down to 11%. It was several percentile up higher just within the last month. It was the single greatest job gain, 4.8 million, in U.S. history. Obviously, that's a little bit misleading because of the situation we're in. 4.8 million jobs because all those people on temporary layoffs are now going back to work in a lot of non-essential services. Needless to say, the economy is getting back on the rise. I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going strong bulls in your investment account because there obviously is always uncertainty, but there is a strong rise in the economy and that's a good thing. So that is a good effect on behalf of the coronavirus. And like I said, a lot of misinformation, a lot of panic revolving around this pandemic, but the numbers, if you really get into it, the actual evidence is not continuing to be so frightening as we've seen in the past. Now we're going to get into a little bit of the cultural revolution, the continuation of all of what we're seeing. Some of the effects, crime is going through the roof, especially in big cities like New York City. Just take New York City in and of itself over this 4th of July weekend. Huge spikes all across the nation in big city crime because of the defunding of police and the short staff that the police force is having due to the backlash from the riots and the protests. Crime is on the rise. It's just as most people would expect that sending social workers to crime scenes and threatening 
violent criminals with social workers is not a very good deterrent for criminal activity. It's not completely unexpected, but it is sad nonetheless that this is what the left is causing. So we're seeing, we are seeing an increase in crime. We are also seeing Kanye West running for president now. Kanye West, the rapper, icon, and businessman, I guess you could say in some respects. He is now running for president, was immediately endorsed by Elon Musk. Some people are worried that this could hurt Trump. Some people are excited that it's going to help Trump. And we don't necessarily know. I don't necessarily say I have seen that Kanye West is going to run. He's going to blow out Joe Biden, call out the Democrats, wipe out the black votes, and then endorse Trump. I don't necessarily know if that's true, but I do not think it's going to hurt Trump's cause. I believe Kanye West will run, and he will either call out those Democrats, like I said, run against them, and then endorse Trump after bringing in those black votes, or he will run fully as like a write-in candidate. He will pull the black vote. He will pull the young voters' votes from the Democratic Party, and it will help Trump. I don't see any way that this hurts Trump. I only see ways that this will help him. But obviously, I don't necessarily think that he would be fitting for president. So some of the effects, some of the backlashes, Kanye West running for president, I do believe that this was just an effect of the riots that we're seeing, the crime rates going up through the roof. And then the big news over the weekend, Donald Trump's Rushmore speech. And we're going to just briefly touch on this before we get into our end of show segment. But this is, I've heard many people say, and I would 100% agree with this, that this is Trump's, if not his best, one of his best speeches. It's a 30 to 40 minute speech. I recommend you go back and listen to it. One of his best speeches. It wasn't one of his rally speeches where he talks about himself and his goals and his plans. It was a beautiful speech, a tribute to not only Judeo-Christian values in our American founding, but just a call to action from the American people to protect those Judeo-Christian values, to protect Western civilization as we know it, and America as the last hope of liberty for the world. And he did a beautiful job, one of his most beautiful speeches, and I was really honestly very proud at this moment. It was unfortunate that we saw so many headlines coming out against this speech from the mainstream media. In fact, most of them just simply flat-out blatant lies. I want to read you some of the headlines. Here's one from the Washington Post. At Mount Rushmore, Trump exploits social divisions, warns of left-wing cultural revolution in dark speech ahead of Independence Day. A dark speech. Social divisions. Here's another. Los Angeles Times. At Mount Rushmore, Trump uses 4th of July celebration to stoke a culture war. The mainstream media headlines were extremely divisive, and they wouldn't be divisive if Trump's speech was actually divisive, right? If Trump's speech was a racist speech, if it was a divisive speech over a cultural revolution and left-wing conspiracy theory, then the mainstream media's headlines would be correct. They would be accurately, objectively reporting the facts of his speech. As a matter of fact, Donald Trump's speech was as far from that as possible. He did not get into the pandemic. He did not get into the politics. Yes, he addressed the tearing down of monuments. He didn't even address the tearing down of Confederate monuments. He only addressed the monuments of George Washington and these American founders. Those are the only real memorials he addressed in his speech. But he really had a call to action for American ideals. The ideals in the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal. It was a very American speech, as we would expect from a president to give on the 4th of July speech. So the mainstream media headlines were extremely biased. And when I say unbearably biased, I mean unbearably biased. They were blatant lies. 
One of them was at Mount Rushmore, Trump digs deeper into nation's divisions. You have also probably heard of this CNN reporter who, when addressing Donald Trump's speech that was going to be occurring at Mount Rushmore, stated, quote, kicking off the Independence Day weekend, President Trump will be at Mount Rushmore while he'll be standing in front of a monument of two slave owners and on land wrestled away from Native Americans. Once again, an objective mainstream media outlet, supposedly an objective journalist, giving an extremely biased headline, an extremely biased report that was never addressed or rectified. It's obviously very easy to see that the reporting going on by these so-called objective mainstream media companies is not objective whatsoever. It's not even hidden at this point. And at this point, it's just blatant lies. It's ridiculous, it's wrong, and it's horrible. And the mainstream media, even though being called out on it, continue to do so. And it always will be wrong. For an objective news source to insert their own opinions into not only the articles, but the headlines being blatant lies. Trump's Rushmore speech was a beautiful speech defending Western civilization, the obviously the epitome of that being the American experiment, and specifically the American founding, the principles in our nation's founding. Nevertheless, the mainstream media will continue to do so, and we will continue to call them out on it. Those were the main stories I wanted to cover in today's episode. Obviously, yes, we did have many extra stories to attend to and to look at during this episode, so a little bit longer of a first segment of an episode. But now we are going to go ahead and jump into our end-of-show segment of Teach the Speech. Welcome back to another segment of Teach the Speech. I'm extremely excited about this one. I do believe, once again, it is extremely applicable to our day. Not only how it applies in word, but also how it applies in context. So what is the speech today? Today's speech is Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. What does it mean? What's the context? How does it apply today? Martin Luther King gave this speech on August 28, 1963. Where did he give it? He gave it at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And when he gave it at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, it wasn't in contest of the memorial. It was actually in conjunction with the Lincoln Memorial. It was su supposed to be the background of the speech. Interesting to note that the activists now of the Black Lives Matter movement are calling for tearing down of Lincoln memorials and statues and monuments that Martin Luther King was in very strong support of them. He gave this in a march in Washington, D.C., and it really was a pivotal moment for the civil rights moment in America. There were more than 200,000 people in attendance listening to this speech, and by a poll of 1999 scholars, it was found to be America's top American speech. Wouldn't agree with that, but it is one of, definitely, America's most influential speeches throughout our history. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. It says, I say to you today, my friends, that in spite of the difficulties and frustrations of the moment, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. Notice he didn't say it was in contrast with American principles, but it was deeply rooted in the American dream. I find that very interesting. He says, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a desert state, sweltering with the heat of injustice and oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, 
but by the content of the character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day the state of Alabama, whose governor's lips are presently dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, will be transformed into a situation where little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls and walk together as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Obviously, a very beautiful speech, a very influential speech, and a very, very applicable speech to what we see today. It is in extreme opposition to the modern Black Lives Matter movement. Because the modern Black Lives Matter movement states that the entire American system is wrong. It's inherently racist. That America from its founding is inherently wrong. That not only the modern-day systems that we see are wrong, but all of Western civilization, the Judeo-Christian values that we hold in America today, that all of those as a whole are inherently wrong. Martin Luther King, in his speech, completely contrasts that. He states that for racism to be gone completely from America is not a trashing and a discarding of the American system, but the American system in its truest form. He makes the argument that if America were simply to go back to its true founding and apply purely what those words were stated in our founding documents, then we would resolve racial issues today. That was the argument he made. He didn't make the argument that the quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident and so on, that they were spoken by a slave owner and should be cast out, that they were completely wrong. But he was able to recognize those as beautiful words and that those meanings of those words should be applied. And that yes, the person who spoke them made mistakes, but that Martin Luther King saw truly that it wasn't that that was the issue, but it was simply that that statement wasn't fully manifested that the statement of all men being created equal simply needed to be manifested and completely promulgated through the American system, that that is what would solve racial issues, not that the American system at its foundation is wrong. So again, a very beautiful speech, a speech deeply rich in application to what we have today and to what we experience today, a speech that I wish was not misused so often as it is. A speech that I really wish would be applied, used, and understood by the Black Lives Matter movement and the leaders there. Because if it was really read, understood, and applied, racial issues would be gone in America. And when I say racial issues, I don't mean systemic racial issues. I mean cultural racial issues. The flaring up of cultural issues. Of racial issues. Martin Luther King said it so true then, and it's still so true today. I hope this speech really helped you. Really helped you grasp what it means to apply the American creed. And really to show the stark contrast that the civil rights movement has come in the last 60 years. It is no longer a civil rights movement. And I hope that that speech really helped you see that. Again, don't forget to tune in on Friday for all of the latest. I know we had lots of stories to cover from the weekend. We will jump into all of it again with all of the latest on Friday. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us over on Spotify. If you don't want to remember to listen in on Tuesdays and Fridays for it to automatically be added to your queue, don't forget to continue to tune in for exciting updates, giveaways that we will have in the future, and updates regarding guests. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josiah Everton, and this is The Glorious Rescue.